It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the therapy for black girls podcast is your space to explore mental health personal development and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. He killed my mom. They tried to kill me and my sister. I told him I didn't do this. They got me confused with someone else. I did not do this. Of course he's going to say that he didn't do it. No one would want to ever admit that they had hurt children or a woman in such a brutal and violating way. I was so ready to not talk about this anymore. I thought we were done. I had everything locked away for so long. Because I learned that when you tell secrets, bad things can happen to you. But I know what I know. And she, I said, I will need to talk to you. I'm Leah Rothman, a TV producer, writer, and director. Over the years, I've worked on a lot of shows with topics ranging from addiction, kidnappings, and cults, to parenting issues, celebrity profiles, and home makeovers. There was also this one show where people had sex in a box on stage, but we'll skip right past that one. But it's stories of injustice, injustice of any kind, that I feel most compelled to expose. Anyway, in the fall of 2015, I was working as a staff writer on Crime Watch Daily, a nationally syndicated true crime television show, when I was given a new assignment. My boss asked me to go through some transcripts and try to make sense of what was supposed to be a profile piece on a true crime author. Was there enough there? And if not, what do we need in order to tell that story? But 
After going through all the interviews and footage, I made the case we needed to focus on a different story. It was about one of the most horrific crimes in St. Louis history. The murder of Joanne Tate, the vicious attack on her two young daughters, Melissa and Renee, and the conviction of Tate's one-time lover, Rodney Lincoln, who, after more than 33 years in prison, still claimed he didn't do it. God knows I'm no angel. Never in my life could I or would I harm a child. No way. A couple of months later, the episode entitled Who Killed Joanne Tate aired, and that was supposed to be the end of it. But it wasn't. It's what happened next that no one saw coming. I hope you guys did the fucking right thing. I have been a puppet of this city for years. I'm done. And it jump-started a messy and complicated chain of events that, over the course of the next several years, would change the lives of so many, including, strangely, me. Since then, I haven't been able to let go of the nagging and haunting feeling that my work on this story is not done. My gut has been telling me to go back and look at everything again. Forget what I think I know about Joanne Tate, Rodney Lincoln, and how this case was investigated and prosecuted. So... That's what I'm going to do. The truth will finally be revealed. I'm not sure I'm ready for any of it. This is The Real Killer. Episode 1, A Bad Feeling. The last time I was in St. Louis, it was a whirlwind. I flew in with a camera crew to shoot a ton of interviews in just a few days. This trip is going to be different. Starting route to Lynn. Head south on Gloria Avenue, then turn right onto Victory Boulevard. I start with driving due west, two hours, to the rural town of Lynn, Missouri, population around 1,500. That's where Joanne Tate's brother, Nathaniel Clenny, and his wife, Lori, live on their sprawling 32 acres of land. Nat greets me on this very windy day as I pull into their driveway. How are you doing? Hi, Nat. How are you? Good. I know. It's good to see you. Same here. It's been a while. It's been almost. It's been over a year now, hasn't it? I think it was like the spring of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. A couple years. Yeah. We barely get through the screen door and into their modest home when Nat and Lori launch into a comedy routine straight out of the 1940s. To be fair, I think I may have egged them on. You know how long we've been together? No. Forty long years. 40 of the best years of your life. It actually really is, though. It really is. For him. 
<laughs> See, that was kind of mean. That was mean her to say that. That's not a Christian attitude. Well, you know, if I didn't say it, you would have said That's it. That's true, though. That's true. <laughs> we have another saying. She tells everybody we, we met on a blind date, and I said, well, boy. Well, we did. We did, but I, I tell everybody, I said, boy, was I blind. <laughs> <laughs> but we know we're just joking. You guys are just joking. We are. That's how we're. I mean, we met when we were 17, so we basically grew up together. Just a little over a year after they meet, the 19-year-olds will be forced to grow up faster than anyone could have ever imagined. It starts innocently enough one spring morning in 1982 when Joanne's boyfriend, Jerry Woodward, calls looking for her. Okay, so, um... I'm sorry, but can you tell me about April 27th, 1982? The day that we, the day that uh, we found Joanne, yeah. <clears throat> well, um, uh, I had, I had, I had a, I had a boatload of stuff to do that morning, um, and uh, Jerry called me. He says I can't get a hold of Joanne. I said, well, she's probably over at my sister Abby's house. So I called over there, and they said, no, she wasn't over there. I said, oh, okay, well, Jerry called me back, and I said, well, maybe she went to the store. And around what time was this? Do you remember? It was after I went to school. Yeah, it had to be somewhere between eight, college, eight and nine. Yeah, my college first class was probably I think eight it was about eight morning. or nine or something. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry was supposed to go down to see Joanna, and they were going to go to the park and sit at the park and just kind of be boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, hold hands and stuff and all that neat stuff and so, that guys don't like to do. So he says, I can't get a hold of her. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, go. So I come from a religious background. Thing. My mom was very Pentecostal, very religious. So I believe in God. Uh, but I heard a voice say, go. And so I said, come pick me up. And so we got there, and I went up to the door to knock, and nobody answered. And this same voice said, push the door. Push, push. And I pushed it, and when I pushed the door open, I could see my sister laying in the middle room uh, with no clothes on, with an object sticking out of her. Inside the first floor brick rear apartment at 1418 Farrar Street, Joanne Tate is found lying face down in a pool of blood on the floor of her daughter's bedroom. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was blood splatter everywhere, on the lampshades, on the walls, everywhere. No matter where you look, you saw blood splatters. I was looking around, I'm going like, this is crazy. I went to my sister. I think I went to her first and touched her. She was cold to the touch. So she's been dead for a long time. So I went in the kitchen and called the police. And I, every time I called them, uh, they act like it was a joke. I said, this is no joke. Fifth District is not that far from here. It's just a few blocks. And there's no police here. So I called up mom. I said, mom, you got to get over here. Joanne's dead. And so mom said, come pick me up. So I drive all over to my mom's house, which is probably two or three blocks away, about the same distance as the police station. I pick mom up and I bring her back and right away she runs to the children. She took their covers down, she could see there was a mess, that bloody mess. Nat and Joanne's mother, Lou Clenny, finds her granddaughters, seven-year-old Melissa and four-year-old Renee lying in their beds, barely clinging to life. 
St. Louis Metro Police arrive minutes later. They said if we hadn't, if we hadn't found them when we did, they said they were real close to death. But something told you to open the door, to push the door open. A voice. Two bolts. Look at that. You can't make this up. Yeah, he's got goosebumps. A voice said, push the door open. Someone to save them little kids. It was an angel, God. Joanne. Joanne. Save my babies. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. 
We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's funny, when I look back at the pictures of me and Renee, Renee was often in dresses. Renee was a little blonde hair thing, wispy blonde hair, and hazel eyes, just a little round-faced kid. She's just so cute. I was a little crumb bum. I was always dirty. <laughs> I was always awkward. That's Melissa DeBoer, now 47. Back in 1982, she was Melissa Davis, just seven years old. Her sister, Renee Tate, was four. There was also an older sister who mostly stayed at her boyfriend's. I had uh, auburn brown hair. It was wild and crazy, and skin that got so dark, like from the slightest sun exposure. I had two large front teeth, and I was missing my eye teeth. So I had a toothy grin. Almost 40 years to the day, and less than four miles away from where it all happened, Melissa agrees to share her story with me once again. A warning, what you're about to hear is incredibly gruesome. If you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. we'll go yeah. to that day. The day before everything changed, I was really excited because Mama was taking us to Hyde Park. Hyde Park was down the alley and across the street from our house, but it was so much fun. It never got boring. You know, we walked down that gravel, that gravel alley, and looked both ways across the street. And the moment my feet hopped up on that curb across that sidewalk, I was a little rocket. I would hit all the points, all the high points, slide the merry-go-round, seesaw. Mama always hung back with Renee because Renee was slower and smaller. But my mom followed me everywhere I went and watched as close as she could. I loved that park. We were probably only there for an hour or two. But I remember becoming aware at some point there was this weird feeling in my belly. And I remember walking up to her with my sister. My sister was picking dandelions, I think. But I told my mom I felt like something bad was gonna happen. And I really think that she just did not listen to me at that moment. My mom knew that I was a kid that was prone to imagination and flights of fancy, a little strange. She didn't believe you? I don't think she believed me. And and I remember telling her I didn't want to go home. And she's like, of course we're going to go home. Where are we going to go? You know what I mean? Like, come on, silly girl. But Melissa won't let it go. She says she has a bad feeling, again during dinner, at bath time, and as Joanne reads a nighttime story to the girls. Eventually, Melissa gives up. The exhaustion of the day wins out. I think it all hit me at once, because I remember my mom, she handed me my teddy bear and uh, kissed me, and I kissed my teddy bear. The next thing I know, I was in a very deep sleep. And then I was jolted awake. What woke you? 
I believe it was a loud noise and a scream. Definitely a loud noise. It was maybe a commotion, but it was loud and deep. And I woke up, my mom was on the floor. There was blood everywhere. There was a naked man next to my bed. I felt so confused and scared. And I don't remember exactly what he said first, but I, I asked him, I said, why is my mom on the floor? And he said, she's sleeping. But Joanne is not sleeping. And Melissa doesn't have time to process what she's seeing. The next thing she knows, the man scoops her up and carries her to her mom's room where he throws her on the bed. And this man had the most blank expression on his face and started taking off my clothes and I got very irritated and mad. I said, stop, stop taking, no, it's not, no, don't take my clothes. I was suddenly there without any clothes. The man then tries to sexually assault Melissa, but she fights back. He tried to make me do oral on him, and I bit him there. He was mad at me for fighting him, and he straddled my legs. And I remember seeing at his big ass, the back of his leg, by his hip, he had a knife and he was hiding it from me. And I was so scared. And I knew right away he was gonna hurt me. And he just started stabbing me. I kept thinking, why is he doing this to me? Why is he hurting me? Where is my mom? The man stabs Melissa multiple times. She somehow, even at seven years old, has the wherewithal to play dead. And when she thinks he's not looking, tries to get away. As she scurries across the bed, he grabs her, slices her from her vagina to her rectum, throws her back on the bed like a rag doll and stabs her once more in the chest. Bloodied and exhausted, Melissa plays dead again. This time, it works. She feels the bed ease up and hears him walk away. She sneaks a peek and sees the man in the kitchen washing off the knife in the sink. For the time being, he's occupied and this could be her chance to run out the front door but Melissa can't leave her four-year-old sister behind. So I thought, I'm gonna help Renee. And I slowly crept out of that room, and that's when I realized how much pain I was in, how bad it was. But before I could say anything to her, I heard him turn off that water, so I crawled under her bed. And that's where I found my dog. And then, I never forget, turning my head to the left and seeing my mom. I was only maybe five, six feet from her. Hiding under Renee's bed, 
the family dog, Trixie, licks Melissa's wounds. Total silence, then a terrifying sound. I remember hearing the feet and then seeing the feet, and he went to look for me and didn't find me. He's asking Renee, he's like, where is she? Renee was just four. Four years old. And she was crying. I felt the bed shake a little bit. And then I saw a lot of blood hit the floor. A lot of blood. And he walked away. The bed didn't move anymore after that. Melissa drifts in and out of consciousness. The next time she opens her eyes, she sees the man has not left. He was smoking cigarettes at the end of my mom's bed and watching TV. You're under the bed, and how could you see him? This is Renee's bed. My mom's bed was catty-cornered to Renee's in her own room. So the end of mom's bed was right here. I was under Renee's bed, and I could see his face. His face did not reflect any of the carnage that was around him. He was waiting for us to die. While Melissa tries to stifle the sounds of her suffering, complex thoughts run through her young, terrified mind. I just kept waiting, thinking Mama's going to wake up or someone will have called the police or he'll leave. But it didn't happen. But it was weird. I was thinking about a lot of things. Like, I'm going to die. It's going to be on TV. I thought about the people that would feel bad that I died. Like, little girl was mean to me because I kissed her little brother on her cheek in kindergarten. She punched me in the stomach. I thought she'd feel bad when I died. You were actually having those thoughts? Yeah. As you were lying underneath Renee's bed? Yeah, yeah. And I just remember thinking he's going to get up and do something else to us or he's going to go somewhere because he doesn't want to be caught here. I had seen enough shows at the age to know that bad guys will often run away. And I remember at one point falling asleep thinking, why won't he just go? I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Melissa, who's been stabbed several times, wakes to the sounds of her little sister's desperate cries. She looks around and realizes the man is gone. She wanted water, so I made myself sit up. I remember it really hurt to sit up. I started to walk into the kitchen, and I threw up. And I remember stopping, trying to shake my mom awake. And I was like, Mommy, wake up. And she didn't wake up. So I went into the kitchen. Melissa fills a tin measuring cup with water and slowly walks back to her sister, resting along the way. And she just looked really weird to me. There was something wrong with her face and her neck. When I tried to pull it up, 
I don't get details. My brain won't let me completely go there. When Renee took a drink of that water, that water came out of her throat. And she cried, there was no water in her tears. And I wanted to stay there and hold her, but I was so tired. And I made my way back to my bed. I fell asleep. When we talk about Renee, you know, when I when we're talking about what happened to her, I think it's almost like a micro snapshot of the whole situation, just the atrocity and the violation and just lack of any kind of He didn't have any hesitation about hurting little kids. It's times like this I'm reminded of what exactly it is that I'm doing. I'm asking Melissa to relive these really horrible details and memories which continue to affect her to this day. I'm thankful for Melissa's trust. She's promised me that in the course of making this podcast, if it's ever too much, she'll tell me. And in a later episode, we are going to talk a lot more about Melissa's memories and what she can and can't remember. But clearly some memories are in sharp focus. I can remember certain sensations with the blood, like feet sticking on the floor or walking through it. I remember seeing it on the sink in the kitchen remember my bed sticking to my skin and being on the floor under the bed. The fuzz and dust and grit of a floor sticking to me. So you get back into bed? Yeah. And um, what happens? I get back into bed and I remember pulling the sheet up on me and just closing my eyes so quickly. and. Part of me knew my sister was over there suffering and I couldn't keep my eyes open to do anything, to say anything. I remember right then that loathing, a self-loathing, was where the seed was planted. If I would have been able to get up, if I would have been able to get help, there's a small chance my mom might still be here. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. I passed out. The next time Melissa opens her eyes, it's because she hears pounding on the door. She wonders if the man has come back to finish them off. And the door flew open. I remember hearing the doorknob hit the wall when it flew open. And I realized right away it was my Uncle Nat. And it was a whirlwind because he was very confused and he was very scared. And he went straight to my mother. He was saying, Joanne, Joanne, what happened? Joanne, who did this to you? And he was trying to shake her awake. And he was so shocked and, and he asked me, he said, who did this to you guys? Who did this to you? And I said, Bill. Why did you say Bill? 
right. he's freaking out and I'm like it took me a moment but I was like Bill Bill for some reason that was the name I knew to say that was to me I think the name I knew him by when this man mm -hmm. was attacking you mm -hmm. when you were on the bed how far was your face from his face maybe like I mean at times half a foot most of the time a foot foot and a half yeah I knew that name I knew that man as Bill coming up this season on The Real Killer. You want to hear the story about the bad man? It wasn't hard to find men in her past who had some history of violence or some incident of violence. I told them that Bill drove a Volkswagen and Bill had worked on my mom's car. She said, that's him. I said, I, his name's not Bill. She kept saying, that's him, that's him. The officer walked up to me and said, you're in big trouble. I was told the bad man was in prison, and I'd never have to think of him or talk about him again. But yet, I always felt like I was being watched. First 10 years was rough. And you know what they hate more than anything? Child molesters. Did you want harm to come to him? I wasn't opposed to it. I knew nothing about investigating. I read these police reports and I saw that lineup photo. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. There's a lot of cases that there, there isn't any evidence. You can't make up evidence. Or you shouldn't. And I just remember thinking, what are we even doing? Should I even be a lawyer anymore? I said, something's not right. Something's not right. Leah, I swear, the shape of his face changed, the color of his eyes changed, and I realized at that moment that I was seeing what his victims saw at the last moment before they died. He was in a house with a woman and two little girls, and he said it was a bloody mess. You absolutely need to go talk to him. Hello, you have a call at no expense to you from an inmate at Kansas Department of Correction, Hutchinson Correctional Facility. Hello? The Real Killer is a production of AYR Media and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Leah Rothman. Executive Producers Leah Rothman and Aliza Rosen for AYR Media. Written by me, Leah Rothman. Senior Associate Producer Eric Newman. Editing and Sound Design by Cameron Taggy. Mixed and Mastered by Cameron Taggy. Audio Engineering by Jesus C. Murillo. Studio Engineering by Tom Weir and Kelly McGrew. Legal Counsel for AYR Media, Gianni Douglas. Executive producer for iHeartRadio, Chandler Mays. If you're enjoying The Real Killer, tell your friends about it and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts